Let's find three places. Third John, Second Corinthians eight, and Proverbs eleven. Three places. Third John, Second Corinthians eight, and Proverbs eleven. Third John. A lot of you are familiar with it. But just because you know something doesn't mean that you know all there is to know about it. And doesn't mean you're doing it either. It's not just the hearers that get blessed. It's the doers. Third epistle of John. Are you there? Third John and the first verse says, The elder to the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Now, it's interesting that if you read the, just one chapter here, you know. But if you read this little chapter and, and circle every time you see the word truth, you'll have circles all over the little book. Because that's the emphasis is the truth. If you skip down to the third verse, he says, I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, even as you walk in the truth. And I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. This, this is God talking, isn't it? God talking to us. Is it true that God has no greater joy than to see us knowing and speaking and walking in and doing the truth? Why? Because the truth makes us free. And it makes him happy. gives him joy to see us free. But the truth that he's talking about in verse 3 and 4 is verse 2. Beloved, is this truth we're about to read here now? I wish or I desire above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Who's talking? Who's talking here? God is talking. I mean, you know, if this is not God talking to us, then we ought to tear these pages out. It's not the inspired Word of God. But if it's the inspired Word of God, then it wasn't just John talking to somebody, but it's also God talking to us today. Is it true that the Lord is saying to us today that that we are His beloved, that He loves us, and that it is His desire, amen, above all things, that we'd prosper and be healthy as our soul is prospering? Does God want us healthy and wealthy? Well, people make fun of us about this. Don't they? They mock us and call us that health and wealth gospel club. But who are they making fun of? What are they making fun of? Oh, y'all are just that name it and claim it and blab it and grab it bunch. Well, who was it that said... If you will believe and not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say comes to pass, you will have what you say. Who said that? It was Jesus, wasn't it? All the all are just Copelandites and Haganites and, and all of this. Well, uh, <laughs> Brother Hagan didn't write Mark eleven twenty four. It was there a long time before he was even born. Well, I guess if we're adhering to that and Jesus is the one that said it, that'd make us Jesusites. And that put them making fun of something that Jesus said. People need to watch what they're talking about, don't they? 
If Jesus said, if you'd believe it and not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say comes to pass, you will have what you say, Jesus is right. Be excited about it. Amen. And if God said, I love you, you're my beloved, and above all things, I want to see you prosper. I want to see you healthy, even as your soul is prospering. Then we ought not back off of it. We ought not make any apologies for it. Amen. Because it is the desire of God. People say, well, I don't care, you know, I don't have to be real healthy just so I can make it. Well, I don't have to be rich just so I got enough to pay my bills. All right, but would you submit to the will of God? If he wants you healthy, whether you do or not, would you submit to his will? If he wants you rich, whether you want to or not, would you submit to his will? Beloved, I wish, I desire above all things that you prosper. Say it out loud. God wants me to prosper. And be in health. Say, God wants me to be healthy. And here is the key. Even as your soul prospers. Now, we've heard that. And many times people have a certain connection in their mind. And I'm going to talk to you about that this evening. This is the key. To your health, it is the key to your prosperity. It is your soul prospering. But many have not understood what that means. Your soul prospers from the Word of God. Your soul prospers from fellowship with the Father. As you walk with God, commune with Him in prayer. As you feed on His Word, come to church and be in good meetings and hear the Word and praise Him, etc., etc., your soul prospers in the knowledge of God. You begin to know His will. You begin to get free from deception and lies. Amen? And you, you have a right vision. As your soul is prospering, then it opens up the doors for your body to prosper. Amen. And for you to prosper in your accounts and in, your, in the material and financial realm. Yeah. And you are not going to prosper in your checking and accounts and savings accounts and purse and pocketbook until you first prosper in here. Right. Right. Your body is not going to flourish and be healthy until you first are healthy and prosperous in here. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. You're prospering inside. Right. So... Let me just say this in advance of some things. There's been a lot lately said about giving and emphasized about giving. We've talked about giving in here. Last night we did about honoring God, a number of ways that you do that. But I'm going to say something to you very boldly. It takes more than giving to prosper. Because you can give out of fear. You can give out of desperation. You can give out of feeling sorry for somebody. You, you can give afraid that something bad's going to happen to you if you don't. I mean, there's all kind of things that people get worked up in a crowd. Just get swept along and carried along with something. And you can deplete yourself. You can impoverish yourself and not be blessed. It's possible to tithe mechanically. And just out of a sense of religious duty. And write that check every week or whatever, year after year, and not really be blessed. I know some people might not like to hear that, but I'm telling you, we live in a new covenant. 
where everything must be done by faith. And God looks at the heart. And we don't live by works. It's not enough just to do a thing. Your heart's got to be right. Hallelujah. So the key to this thing, and and I, I have... I've earnestly sought this where prosperity is concerned. And I've stayed after it year after year and I'm going to continue to stay after it. And I'm convinced that one of the biggest keys to your prosperity is right here what we just read. It is the prosperity of your soul. Hallelujah. Now this is going to get clearer to you as we go on in the night. But you've got to get free from small thinking. You've got to get free. From being stingy. (laughs) You got to get free from a wrong mentality. Poverty thinking. And poverty mentality. That's the thing. I mean, you you can give every dime you got. But if you don't get loosed and free from that poverty mentality. You're not going to prosper. And so the changes happen from the word of God. It's not just a a physical act that you do that's going to set you free. It is the Word of God. Hallelujah. Just like I described that young man who got a hold of the life of the Word of God. By the same way, you might be crippled. You might be paralyzed in your finances. Did you hear me? It might be like you're cancerous and bedridden financially and materially. But the Word of God, the life of the Word of God can get inside you. And your soul can begin to prosper. And you can throw off those shackles of lies and deception. And once that begins to happen, you're going to start coming out in the natural. Might not all change in two days, but you'll begin to come out. And if you just continue to prosper in your soul, you've got to prosper in your pocketbook. Hallelujah. I desire above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Now go with me to that second scripture that you're holding. 2 Corinthians 8. Now a a big key to your being healed, like we said, is the prosperity of your soul. Before your body prospers, your soul's got to prosper. Now, your soul has to do with a part of your eternal being, the inward man. We're spirit beings. We have souls. We live in bodies. You have a mind. You have feelings, emotions. And that inward man has to prosper before the outward man does. And one of the big keys to your being healed is you get the revelation that Jesus took your infirmities. Bore your sicknesses, carried your pains, that by his stripes you were and are, not going to be, not just in the process of being, but were and are healed. Is that right? How many understand it's got to be that way concerning being born again, being saved? Are we soon to be saved? Hmm? Are we in the process of being recreated and being made new creatures? No. When you believe on him, hallelujah, and confess Jesus as Lord, you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things are passed away. You were and are saved. Amen? How about your healing? We were and are healed. Not working on it. Not maybe get to it sometime. Not just in the process. Now see, that's, you got to watch this. You hear sometimes people say, well, the Lord's touched them. Let's just pray that he'd finish the work. Is that redemptive reality? 
Is that fa- or is that walking by sight? You got to watch this kind of stuff. I'm t- I, you know, I guess me working in healing school so many years makes me a little more sensitive to this kind of thing. But I just cringe when I hear some people say some things. I've heard Brother Hagin tell stories about people that he said put. The Lord told them that they prayed and then asked Him to heal them, and God in some of them got in faith, and they miraculously overnight they begin to change. But then they came back to church the next day and said, "Well, the Lord's touched them. Let's just pray that He would complete the work or finish the work." And He said, "The word of the Lord came to him on the platform and said, "Now they put them in my hands, and now tonight they've taken them out of my hands. They'll be dead in a few days." Why? Because they got in faith, but now they got out of faith and they're walking by sight. If you say, you know, well, Lord, you know, hurry up and complete it. When are you going to believe it's done? Well, when you see it. Well, any sinner down the street can do that. No faith involved there. No, when are we healed? We're just as healed as we are saved. Is that right? Well, here's some really good news in 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter and the 9th verse. For you know. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. This sounds like redemptive language. Did he become sin with our sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ? Did he take upon himself our sicknesses and pains and the chastisement of our peace that we might be healed and have peace and be free? Well, he also became poor. Did I make this up or am I reading this out of the Bible? Is this New Testament? Why was he made poor? So we could be poor. Hmm? I'll submit to you, friend, and see, again, as your soul prospers, you're going to prosper outwardly. You are just as healed as you are saved. You are just as rich as you are healed as you are saved. I'm talking about your soul prospering. I'm talking about you getting, how many understand that to be healed, you've got to lay hold of this and believe it and begin to call yourself healed while you still look sick, feel sick, everything says you're sick. We're talking about walking by faith. Well, friend, you've got to lay hold of this and begin to say, I am rich. I've been made rich while you still look broke, feel broke. The bank says you're broke. But in Jesus' name, I am rich. I'm saved. I'm healed. I'm rich. I'm rich. Hallelujah. I used to tell the students taught at Raymond Bible Training Center for years, and a lot of times I'd tell them every morning to confess this. I'd say, you know, confess this out loud. Uh, I'm quick. I'm sharp. I'm bright. I'm good looking. Very rich. And a major blessing. Sometimes they'd laugh about it. But I'm serious. I want them to get that in their spirit. Amen. When are you going to be rich? Do you see what we're talking about now? See, most people don't think like this. Even in charismatic or in faith circles, they don't think like this. They're thinking, maybe one day I'll get rich. Maybe one day. When are you going to be healed? When are you healed? When are you going to get rich? 
How much money do you have to have in your account before you'll know you're rich? How many of your symptoms have to be changed before you'll believe you're healed? What do you have to feel and see before you believe you're saved? We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by the finished work of redemption. Did Jesus take our sin? Did he become sin with our sin? Did he become sick with our sicknesses and diseases? Were they laid upon him? Did he become poor? Why? So that we by, might be made rich. Has he become poor already? Then when were we made rich? We were We have been and we are rich. Now I can sense, you know, some people are are beginning to get a little excited. Other folks are going, I just don't know about that. Yeah, I know. And until you do, you ain't going to be rich. People are still doing that with healing. All over, people are still going, well, I'm not going to believe I got something and I can't feel that I got. I'm just real. Um, Yeah, real carnal. Real controlled by your feelings. Elevating your logic and reasoning and your five physical senses above the eternal word of God. If God says you're saved and clean and forgiven, then I don't care what you feel or look like. Agree with God. If God says you're healed... And are going to live long and he'll satisfy you with long life. I don't care what the report says or what happened to grandma or auntie. You believe what he said. If God said you are rich. Then you are. Agree with what he said. Hallelujah. I want you to get it in you tonight. I want you to start working on your renewing your mind and say it tonight and say it tomorrow when you're going down the freeway. I'm rich. 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 I'm really, really rich. I'm rich. Is this far-fetched? Is this a way for... Is it scriptural to say I'm healed? Is it? Even though you don't look it, you don't feel it, is it scriptural? Then it's scriptural to say I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm rich. And as it begins to dawn on your spirit, as your soul begins to prosper from the revelation, you cannot help but begin to be excited. Rich people get to do a lot of stuff. Rich people write big checks in the offering. Rich people don't have to quibble about stuff. They just buy three of them. Rich people take all their friends and extended family on exotic vacations. Rich people say, I like that car. I'll take it. They say, how are you financing? I'm just going to write you a check. Hallelujah. Now, you don't have this just because I said it to you tonight. 
You got, to st- you got to grab this and keep it in front of you tonight and tomorrow and the next day and the next week. You just need to go around. Say, you, you got to make up your mind. Now, are you the lost or are you the saved? Which, which group do you identify with? If you identify with Christ, then you are the saved. Which group do you identify with? Are you the sick or are you the healed? Can't be both now. If you're in the healed club, you're not in the sick club. I'm not the sick trying to get healed. I'm the healed. The enemy's brought some symptoms. He's trying to mess with me, but I ain't accepting it. I'm resisting it. I'm rejecting it because I am the healed. Though you might mess up, you might sin. That doesn't mean you identify with the lost. You fall down and ask God to forgive you of it. Amen. Receive your cleansing. Reject the condemnation. Reject that and say, no, I am the saved. I am the righteous. Are you the broke? Are you the poor? Are you the lower class? Are you the middle class? Which one are you? Or are you the rich? Are you the rich? Hallelujah. Your wealthy future starts right here tonight in your heart and in your mind and soul if you'll embrace this. Glory to God. Said out loud, I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm rich. If you believe it, you'll be excited about it. If you're not excited about it, that means you haven't accepted it yet. You're not convinced. You've got some kind of goofy men's ideas about it. Well, I just don't know. Yeah, and you just won't be. I've had people say, well, y'all are just, you know, you just... Preach on this stuff all the time, and I had fellows say, "You know, well, y'all just talk about healing so much, healing, 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 healing." And uh, you know, we don't preach about it. I said, "Well, do people get healed in your church?" He said, "No." I said, "Well, that's interesting, isn't it?" I said, "We teach and preach about it, and we have healings all the time. Y'all don't preach and teach about it, and you don't ever have healings. Wonder if there's a connection here." Everybody say, I believe it. I believe it. it. Hallelujah. Now, in this scripture, just flip over to the ninth chapter. I I, haven't forgotten your place in Proverbs. But go to the ninth chapter of 2 Corinthians. And I want to give you what I believe is one of the best Bible definitions of prosperity and prosperous. Is 2 Corinthians 9 and 8. He said, and God, 2 Corinthians 9 8, God is able to make all grace, grace. Is there grace for those in sin? Is there grace for those in sickness? Is there grace for those that have material need? That's what he's talking about here. How many of us do we have a complete redemption? 
The Lord did not leave out any areas that we have to do with in this life. God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. I want you to read that with me out loud. Verse 8, the latter part of it. That you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. One more time, read it out loud. That you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Does that sound like having times of lack? And doing without? And coming up short? Always. How often is that? Always having all sufficiency. How many areas does that cover? All sufficiency in all things. How many areas does that cover? Always having all sufficiency in all things and then abounding to every good work. That means giving to every good work all around about you. You got all, you, all your needs are met and all your desires are met in every area of your life all the time. And you're giving everywhere. That's prosperity. Hallelujah. Now the bit, one of the biggest things that stands between you and I and the full prosperity of our great abundant God is getting our soul prospered in this thing. Overcoming the lies and deception that have been passed down generation to generation to generation. And overcoming what you might call a poverty spirit. Or a poverty mentality. Now the prosperity mentality is this. I will always have all sufficiency in all things. Brother Leroy Thompson says this, I like it. He says, I'll never be broke another day of my life. That's what this is saying, isn't it? I will every day of my life, tonight and tomorrow and next week and next month and next year, as long as I live and beyond, I will always have an abundance in every area. Now your head will fight you on that. Because you've had generations of poverty thinking passed down to you. It's been preached from pulpits in the churches for centuries. Poverty's been preached. Lies have been preached. So this is the prosperity mentality. The poverty mentality is just the opposite of this. I'm not going to have enough. I'm going to run out. I don't know where it's going to come from. In fact, the, the, the original words that are translated poverty and words along that line mean deficiency and lack and need. The thing that you've got to overcome for your soul to prosper is the I'm going to run out mentality. It's not going to be enough. I'm going to come up short. 
And we're talking about, when you boil it down to its simplest forms, we're talking about faith versus fear. Faith says I'll always be full. Fear says I'm going to run out. Hmm? Have you ever had to deal with any fears that you were going to run out? That your, your check wasn't going to make it? Wasn't going to reach? You wasn't going to have enough to pay all the bills? This thing's going to come up and you're not going to have it? Y'all are mighty quiet. But I know that this is something you've dealt with. And the problem is, so many times people have just yielded to it. And they think this way. Is it God's will that we have no lack? Is it? Is it God's will that we be full? That we have abundance, even excess? It is. Let me read some scriptures to you. Don't turn there, but just listen to them. In Job, the 36th chapter, in the 16th verse, Job 36, 16, says, He is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place, free from restriction, to the comfort of your table laden with choice food. Hallelujah. Nehemiah 9, 21. Nehemiah 9.21 talks about the children of Israel, which are, you know, those things are typical for us. said, 40 years you did sustain them and they lacked nothing. Hallelujah. Deuteronomy 8 describes the promised land that is typical of our blessings in Christ today. And he says this promised land is a land, a good land, brooks of waters, fountains, depths that spring out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees, oil and honey, a land where you will eat bread without scarceness. You will not lack anything in it. Hallelujah. Jesus' disciples, you remember, he told them to go out and preach. And he said, don't even take any supplies with you. Just go believe in me. And when they came back, he said, when I sent you out without a purse or scrip and shoes, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. Hallelujah. They said, he said, did y'all lack anything when I sent you out? They said, not a thing, Lord. No thing. Is he the same Jesus today? Is his will for us lack or plenty? Plenty. Then for us to fear that we're going to run out, that it's not going to be there, is doubting him. Is not having faith and doubting him. When he said, I will supply all your needs according to my riches in glory, if we're afraid it might not be there, that means we don't believe him. They're saying, well, I know you said that, but... It's coming up next week. And I don't know where it's going to come from. Yes, you do. From him. And he's got millions and millions and billions of channels he can use. And it's his business whom and how and where and how he uses. But you know the source is always going to be the same. It's him. And he's not going to run out. He's going to meet your needs according to his resources, riches, in glory. Can you say amen? Amen. God's will, said out loud, God's will will is no lack. No lack. lack. You know, in the book of Acts, when they all got filled with the Holy Ghost and and began to flow into things of God, I mean, right after that, in the fourth chapter, it says, Neither was there any among them that lacked. 
God's will is no lack. No lack. What's God's perfect will for me? That I always have all sufficiency in all things and abound to every good work. That I never run out. That I never come up short. That I never be behind. Hallelujah. Never. But now see, you got to make up your mind. Am I going to walk by sight? You might say, well, uh, that sounds good, Brother Keith, but I've suffered and I've hurt and I have come up short and I, I got behind on this and I lost this. Yeah, and you've had symptoms too. Yeah, and you've sinned and missed it too, but how, which, which way are you going to walk? Are you saved or lost? Are you healed or sick? You're going to live or die? Are you poor or rich? Are you always full or do you come up short? Get your mouth working for you. Begin to confess it. Uh, let me back up and give you, give you this example. I was down in a, another country some years ago, and I was told about a woman that was bedridden with cancer. And they asked, would I come by and visit her? I had a little time, so I said, yeah. I came by, and this person was a minister, had been to Ramah. But they are just at death's door. I mean, you know, from the way they looked, you wouldn't have been surprised from the natural standpoint if by the time you got back to the room, they called you and said she just passed away. I mean, that's how low she was. Couldn't speak just at a whisper was all the strength that she could speak. And I prayed before I went, and I leaned over her bed so I could hear, put my ear almost down to her mouth. And she said, Brother Keith, I'm just so weak and I can't keep anything down everything I eat just comes right back up and I just can't keep anything down well she's in a bad way she's at death's door but do our words make any difference in our life now see, she's been to Ramah, she's heard about faith, but it's so easy when you're overwhelmed with feelings and symptoms to just let it suck you back into that. But friend, that's a way to die. That's a way to go down. I didn't reprove her, I didn't rebuke her, this is not the time or place for this, but she needs help. So I said, well sister, I said, you know the scripture in Joel, it says, let the weak say, what? What should the sick say? What should those that feel condemned say? I'm righteous. What should those that are up to their eyes in debt and poverty say? I'm rich. What's going to bring you out of this? Your faith and your mouth. So I leaned down to her and I said, uh, you know that scripture? I said, let's just say it. And let's believe God for power to be ministered to your body. Say it out loud. You know, and if you have to pause between words, that's fine. Let's take our time and just say, I'm strong. I'm strong in the Lord and the power of His might. But she barely could whisper. She said, I'm strong. I said, that's good. Let's say it again. I'm strong. I'm strong in Lord. And we'd have to sit there for another five minutes while she regained her strength. But to make a long story short, in 30 minutes time, she's sitting up in bed, talking so loud you could hear two blocks away, saying, I'm strong in the Lord 
And in the, I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost got in the bed with her. And began to quicken her. I wouldn't stand up here and lie to you. I'm telling you, she sat up. And is talking out loud. Miraculous. I said, now, now she's smiling. She's going, glory to God. I said, listen, sister. Never again say, I can't eat. Do not, say I, she, do not say I have no appetite. Do not say I can't keep it down. I said, this is what you say and this is only what you say from now on. You say, I have a voracious appetite. And when I eat, it stays down. She's nodding her head. I mean, she can see the power of faith working. I mean, you don't have to convince her. She's, she's living in it right now. I said, did you hear me? Do not say again, not even one more time. Do not say, I can't stand the smell of food. It nauseates me. Everything I eat, it just comes right back up. I said, never say it again, ever. I said, I'd rather hear you cuss. I'm serious. Some of these four-letter words don't mean as much. I'm telling you, it's some of this doubt and unbelief. So she got my point. I said, now, now hear me. I said, I'm not saying it'll happen, but if you ate something and it hits the bottom of your stomach and bounces right up and you have to throw up, I said, as soon as you get through throwing up, you wipe off your mouth and you say, when I eat, it stays down. She said, when I threw up, I said, when you threw up, I don't care. We're not walking beside here. Our faith is going to change this. You see where people miss it? They go, when I eat, it stays down. When I eat, it stays Then they go, I was saying it. I was saying it. Why isn't this working? Because you got no faith. Because you're faithless. Faith speaks the word in the face of contradiction. You get five new big bills in the mail in the morning and you look at it and go, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich. I was uh, home for a couple of months. Somebody came by and they said, I heard you went by and visited this certain lady, you know, out of the country. I said, yeah. They said, did you know she's gained 20 pounds? Said she has a great appetite. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. Now poverty says we're going to run out. What does faith say? I'll never be broke another day of my life. I always have all sufficiency in all things and I abound to every good work. Have you got any time tonight? Huh? I'd like to give you a test. Are you, are you ready for it? It's a pop test. I know you didn't know it. But it's important. I'm going to give it to you. You're going to take it. You got, you got some paper and pen and stuff? Are you ready? Because you're going to have to check yes or no. 
true or false, either one. I'm going to ask you at least six questions. And we're going to see where you're going to pass this test or whether you're going to flunk. But the good news, even if you flunk, you can take it over. All right, so don't, don't get messed up. You can learn the right answers and then take it over. But listen, you've got to be honest. Don't sit up here in church and lie on the test. We're going to give you the poverty mentality test. The poverty spirit test to see how much of the ugly junk would be in your life. Now I know I I grew up poor. My parents were poor. My grandparents were poor. The generations of poverty thinking has been one of the toughest things that I've had to deal with for God to work out of me so he could prosper me. It's not hard for God to get money to you. Do you believe that or not? I was praying one day about some things concerning the ministry. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, how much should I believe you for on this? I was surprised. At that. I don't mean I heard an audible voice, but inside me distinctly, he answered me. He said, it's not up to me. I said, really? <laughs> he said, I have the ability to make you a multi-billionaire before the sun set today. Could he? Without picking up a phone. He said, it's not based on what I can do. Amen. He said, what can you believe? Okay, that's good. I mean, do you remember how many times in the scripture that the Lord looked at people and said, according to the ability of God? No. According to what? According to your faith. He meets us where our faith is at. Well, as soon as we can get a bigger vision and believe for more, then it's easy for him to do it. He can do it. He has the ability. So, you know, the poverty mentality, you you know, I know in my own experience, I didn't get rid of it in a day or two or a year or two. I'm still working on it. You're going along and you think you've made a lot of progress and you realize, man, that's, that's such small thinking. That's just little narrow, nothing thinking. And you got to get free from it and, and break, break it off of you. Yes. Now, let me, let me review it and then we're going to get into the test. What is prosperity mentality? I'll always have more than enough. Is that right? Basically. What is poverty mentality? I'm going to run out. I'm not going to have enough. I'm going to come up short, right? And basically you're talking about a faith for fullness or a fear of lack. Fear, afraid that we're going to come up short. It's not going to be there. The bill's going to be due. We're not going to have the money to pay it. It's going to come up and it's not going to be there. Fear. You know, uh, we have a little dog named Mandy. And uh, she's a good little dog. Low maintenance dog. <laughs> and I told Phyllis when we got her, she's these little, one of these little shih tzus. And uh, I told 
uh, Phyllis, I said, no, we, you know, we're not going to make her a high maintenance dog. We travel too much. We're going, she's going to have to be low maintenance. So we trained her, you know, to sleep in the garage and, and she had a doggy door and that kind of stuff and, and, and food. And over the period of time, I mean, we're gone for, you know, days at a time. And uh, she doesn't need a lot of attention. We have somebody come by and check on her once in a while. But uh, we fill her bowl up, and she doesn't eat it all. Her bowl has never been empty. It's always been full. So she has absolutely no poverty mentality. She doesn't try to eat it all. Because the bowl has never been empty. She expects it to always be full. So she just eats a few bites and goes away. No poverty mentality because the bowl is always full. As long as she's been alive, the bowl's been full. Even if it got low, it was just a few minutes or a day or whatever, you know, and it was filled up. Never did she go without and starve, half starve. It's always been there. Do you know the Lord told us that? He said, you know, look, behold the fowls of the air. Huh? They don't work. They don't store, but they don't go hungry. That's right. They always have plenty to eat. Yeah. How does that work? Consider the lilies. Yeah. Right? What's he saying? Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't take thought and care and, and wonder, well, where's it going to come from? Am I going to have it? It's all vain. It's all fear. It's all unbelief. Faith says he was there yesterday. He's here today. He'll be there tomorrow. He came through before. He'll do it again. The bowl's always been full. It's going to always be full. I know you can have as much faith as my little dog. Hallelujah. Okay, you got your paper out? We're going to take the test now. Got to be honest now. No lying in church. We're going to take the test. The poverty mentality test. Question number one. Do you keep everything? (laughs) I'm going to explain as we go along. You don't have to answer yes or no yet. Just hear the whole thing before you answer. Do you keep, and I'm emphasizing, everything? What do you mean by that? Do you keep stuff long after it's worn out? Do you have boxes full and drawers full and closets full of stuff that... You haven't used in years and years. Do you keep all the bread wrappers? And the ties? I mean, you got, you got stacks and stacks of bread wrappers, but you keep saving them. Do you keep all the margarine bowls? 
in all the lids. I mean, you got you got whole cupboards and shelves that you need space for something else, and they're full of Cool Whip bowls and margarine bowls and lids that you never use. But then you wash up another one and put it up there again, because you've only got 67. Why? Why are you saving all those margarine bowls? Why are you saving all those bread bags and ties? Why? Well, you might need them sometime. Times must be going to get pretty hard if you're going to need all them butter bowls. <laughs> do, you, do you continue to use things long after they're worn out? Long after their usefulness is past. Do, do you run tires until there's only two tread left in the middle? Folks say, man, there's a tire's bald on the side. You better get it. Oh, it's got two good tread left. We got to, we got to squeeze all the goody out of it. You use the same windshield wipers. <laughs> decade after decade. I mean, they're torn apart and flopping in the wind. And... Yep, they got several more good wipes left in them. That's a poverty spirit. That's poverty mentality. Rich people don't do that. Truly rich, both inside and out. They don't think like that. You fix that pair of socks 12 times and keep wearing them and keep wearing them and keep wearing them. You just, you just can't bear to throw them away. Now people try to excuse this by saying, well, I'm just a good steward. No, you're beyond that. <laughs> no. Uh-uh. No, no. I know, uh, like I said, you know, uh, generations of poverty mentality in my own family. And that's the way we grew up, man. You didn't just go out and buy something. I mean, we had a little farm and everything. And I mean, when something broke, you fixed it. You tied it back together or strapped it back on or... Some way or another, you didn't just, we didn't have the mentality, go buy a new part. Rebuild. Some way, somehow. I mean, duct tape and baling wire, good pair of vice grips. You go another thousand miles. 
Now, now people, you know, people will fight you about this kind of stuff. Well, I don't see nothing wrong with that. I know you don't. That's why I'm talking to you tonight. That's why you've never been rich experientially. And you never will be. Do you learn to begin to shake stuff off of you? Rich people don't think like that. Truly rich. I know uh, I always wanted a Corvette as a boy, as a teenager. So when I learned about faith, I started believing for one. And when Phyllis and I first started the ministry, we got to the place where we could, we could get one. And it was a, what was it, a 74. And it was a dog. I paid $3,300 for it. It had a big chunk out of the fender. It had been vandalized. Wires were hanging out everywhere. Holes in the seat. Transmission leaked. Motor leaked. But it was a Corvette. And we got it. And the Lord helped me. Over the course of the next uh, couple of years, I fixed a couple of few things here and there, and we got it mechanically more sound. Do you know the Lord had a man, I'm, I was believing him to fix it up, and the Lord had a man walk by the parking lot one day and see that car. I didn't know him. He didn't know me. He walked inside the receptionist area uh, where my office was. Uh, I was working for the Hagen ministry at that time, and he said, whose car is that? And they told him. He said, I'd like to see him. And so they told me, they buzzed me, and I came out, and uh, he said, is that your car? And I hesitantly said, yes. I don't know if I, maybe I'd leaked on his driveway or something, you know. And I <laughs> backfired in front of the traffic or so. I don't. He, said, uh, he said, are you wanting to fix that car up? I said, yeah. He said, I have, what was it, 20-something years experience in Corvette restoration. That was his expertise. He said, the Lord dealt with me when I walked by your car that if you will provide me the materials, I'll do all the labor. I'll take care of it for you. And so for a few thousand dollars, we made that thing look like something in a magazine. It was pearl white with a metal fake blue uh, inset that came out of the stingray vents. Had the spoilers and stuff. I mean, it was sharp. But when we moved from our apartment to our first little house that we were renting, I had had to replace some front end parts on that car. And so I got them, but I saved all the ones I took off. <laughs> the ones that were wore out that had to be replaced, I saved them. And I had carried them from place to place as we moved. And uh, we were moving to this first little, first little house we had had. We were just renting it. But Phyllis, uh, you know, as I began to load up all these greasy, nasty parts, she said, uh, you're not going to bring all those old car parts to our new place, are you? I said, hey, if you had to go to a salvage yard and buy these, you know, they'd cost money. <laughs> and uh, she said, well, I thought they were wore out. I thought that's why you took them off. I said, well, she said, besides that, I thought you were leaving for a new Corvette. She said, you can't put these old parts on that new Corvette, can you? I said, you just go on back inside and pack, and I'll take care of this out here. <laughs> but I began to think, and you know, I thought, well, you know, that ain't faith. 
If I'm really believing for a new car, I'm not, I'm, if I needed a part, I'd believe God to put a new part on the new car, right? I mean, why am I drag these things? So I said, I'm going to throw them away. And I put them in the pickup and went out to the salvage place. And it hurt, man. Oh, it hurt. I thought, man, whew, look at this stuff. Oh, throw it away. Ouch, ouch. Throw it away. Uh, get in the truck and drive away quick. Don't look back. I think there's some people in here tonight that need to clean out some places. Just flat throw it away. Hmm? Are you going to live with junk all your life? What level are you going to be at? So question number one. Do you save and keep everything? You may not realize the severity and seriousness of this, you know, this mentality, this spirit of holding back. Keeping back. Let me read some scriptures to you. Proverbs eleven twenty four says, There is that scatters and yet increases. There is that with withholds more than is meat. Withholds, but it tends to poverty. And the liberal soul shall be made fat. Remember in the book of Acts, in the fifth chapter, during the beginning of the great move in the church, how Ananias and Sapphira sold the property and they got the money. And what the Bible say? They kept back part of the price. See, they, it had such a grip on them, they couldn't turn it all loose. And so they held on to it. So uh, under this first question, we're going to continue to ask you, do you struggle to turn things loose? Is it hard for you to throw stuff away that you shouldn't keep? If God deals with you to give, whether it's to the church or to a brother or sister, or to just somebody you know, is it hard for you to turn loose of it? Do you struggle with it? Do you delay and delay and procrastinate? Do you wind up doing less than what he dealt with you to do? Well, then this is the thing that is between you and your prosperity. This is holding you back. You cannot prosper outwardly till you prosper in your soul. Amen. And as you prosper in your soul, you can turn loose of it. Hallelujah. You can just let it go. Why? Because they make new ones all the time. And the new ones are improved. I don't have to save all this. God will be here tomorrow. Amen. I'm not going to run out. I'm going to always have all sufficiency in all things and abound to every good work. How'd you come out on number one? <laughs> Question number two. Question number two. Do you always have to clean the plate? Slash use it all. Do you always have to use all of it? You can't replace it if there's any left. Now we touched on that earlier, but you know you, you rinse the shampoo bottle with water. You put water in it and shake it three times <laughs> before you break the seal on a new one. I mean it's almost a ceremony breaking out the new bottle. We've got to dilute it with some water and make it go further. 
put a little water in the ketchup bottle and shake it. That's poverty thinking. I said, that's poverty thinking. I mean, you, you've developed uh, rolling toothpaste tubes into an art. <laughs> I mean, you can get there. Man, you'd think a tube of toothpaste cost a hundred dollars the way you. <laughs> Got toothbrushes in your drawer since 1972. Poverty spirit. I said poverty. You're not prospering in your soul. You constricted. You're narrow. You probably got supplies under the bed. Canned goods that you got on sale back. Rusty tops. Rust on top of the can. Why? Might need it sometime. That's not faith. That's fear. That's fear that you're going to come upon bad times. Saving for a rainy day. You save for... Now, now, you know, the Lord tells you to, to, to put some money up. You know, obey Him. Do it. But don't expect problems. Don't expect lack. Don't expect to run out. Don't expect to fall on hard times. Well, you just never know. Bad stuff happens. Bottom might fall out tomorrow. <laughs> the bottom ain't going to fall out of God tomorrow. The same God who's fed you all your life long will be there tomorrow. <laughs> Break free from this. You know, in the Old Testament, the Lord told him, he said, don't, don't reap all the way to the edges of the field. Don't pick off every grape. Don't, you know, have a spirit of abundance about you. That you leave plenty for people around about you. I understand you don't figure you tithe with a calculator. And you don't have to be that way with tips either. You afraid you're going to scare them with that extra dollar? (laughs) I bet you they figure out something to do with it. Round things up. See, the liberal soul. What'll happen? They'll be made fat. He's talking about prosperity. Fat pocketbook. Fat bankroll. What kind of person? The liberal. Generous. So always round things off on the fat side. If the, if the tip is $3, five ain't going to hurt them. Right? The tithe is $43 or 75 I'm telling you, you got to, I'm talking about prospering inside. I'm talking about getting free from these restraints and this stinginess and this poverty mentality. That toothpaste hadn't, tube hasn't got to be totally flat. I think it's got something in the bottom. Throw it in the trash can. Just and make yourself turn away. 
Yeah, but it had this much in the bottom of the shampoo bottle. Throw that thing away. Just throw it away. Get a new one. Amen. Pour some in your hand. Pour it out in the tub. I can't, I can't stand that. I can't stand that. Then you must not like God overflowing cups. I guess that bothers you bad too. We talked about, we preached about this already. You, you, you must not like God running your cup over. You must not like, you know, him breaking the nets and, and sinking the ships and, and running over 12 baskets full. I like it. I said, I like it. Let's spill it out the cup on the table, out in the floor, out in the street. Let's run it out. Now let's just, you know, we need five. Let's get 20. How'd you do on number two? This is church now. All right. Question number three. Let's keep moving here. Question number three. Are you always complaining or frequently complaining, either one, or even occasionally complaining about how much things cost? Hmm? Are you... Belly aching, griping, or commenting about how ridiculous it is, especially out here. I mean, on the West Coast, my word, can you believe how much they want for this? It's ridiculous. Is that okay? Is griping about how high things are? Is that okay? Is that faith? Is it prosperity mentality? It's not. In fact, Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without murmurings or disputings. When is it okay to gripe about how high something is? Never. Never. I mean, you're not going to change just because you heard this one time. You've got to get serious about this and catch yourself throughout the day and throughout the week and say, hold up, hold up, quit that. Hush. I always have plenty. Just don't bother me. If it goes to three times this, I can still get one if I need to. Did I lose some people on that? Here is a phrase I want you to eliminate. From your vocabulary. Do not say it again. Past tonight. Do not say it again. That is. We can't afford it. We can't afford it. Why can't you afford it? Can your source not provide it? Is it beyond the ability and scope of your source of supply? Why can't you afford it? We can't can't afford it. Man, that's just too high. 
Do multi-billionaires think like that? Do truly rich people inside and out think like that? Hmm. And again, we're walking by faith now. We're not walking by what we see in our hand or our account or how, what we've experienced in the past. We, we, we're putting our mouth where we want our future. Is that right? And you need to begin to say, instead of saying, I can't afford, I can afford anything I need to do. I can get anything I need or want. Hmm? Why? Because I'm rich. I can do it. I know I got a good letter from a single mom some years ago after I'd taught some of these things. And uh, she had a couple little kids and didn't have a lot of money. And I had told them, I said, don't, wait, don't be telling your kids we can't afford it all the time. It builds poverty mentality into them. I said, tell them we'll believe God for it. Right. Teach them how to sow. Yeah. And uh, her little girl came one day and said, you know, Mama, she wanted a certain bike. And she said, well, honey, I'm, I'm sorry, but Mommy can't afford. And she caught herself, remembered it. And so she said, well, wait up now. She said, you really want it? She said, yeah. She said, well, Mommy will believe with you. Got something you can sew? She thought of a toy she could sew to a little friend of hers. She said, okay, will you sew it? And then we're going to pray the prayer of agreement and ask the Lord for this bike and stand. You know why a lot of parents wouldn't do that? Because they're afraid little Johnny or Susie might be disappointed. Because it might, well, that means you don't believe it yourself. Right? And so they did it. She did it. Checked. The little girl went and gave this toy, whatever it was, to her little friend and gave and sewed. And it was just a few weeks. To here in the mail comes a check from a totally unexpected channel made out to the little girl. More than enough for the bicycle. Same week, there's a sale on those particular bicycles two blocks away. They deposit the check. They go down there. She picks out just the bike she wants with some accessories, you know, the little horns and the little streamers. and Yeah, rich people can get the extras. And uh, pays for that thing, rides it back, and I'm telling you, she'll never forget this. She'll never forget this. She sowed. They prayed. They believed God. She knows the Easter money didn't give this to her. Santa Claus didn't give this to her. Mama didn't give this to her. The Lord gave it to her, and he can take care of her the rest of her life. This is not an essential thing to live. But God wants you to have it. Hallelujah. Well, let me keep going. Number four. Are you always trying to get it for less? (laughs) Or free? Do you just bug people? Wear them down. Somebody said, well, I like a deal. I do too. And that's one reason I'm having to talk to you tonight because God had to correct me on some things. I come from a long line of dealers. My grandpa's a champion trader. I mean, they knew all the ins and outs of trade. Taught me some of it. 
Get a fellow as low as you can get him. When he won't come down, start getting to throw stuff in. Don't, don't tell them. Make them give you a price. I mean, all the, all the rules. They taught me as a little boy. And, I, and man, I did. I'd, you know, Phyllis would be embarrassed around me sometimes. If I was buying a new car or something, I mean, I wouldn't let them off until they're hurting. They're squealing, you know. We ain't going to make any money. Well, I know. Fine. I'm with the, I want a deal. And don't misunderstand me. There are situations where the favor of God will cause people to offer you a deal. That's a different thing from you asking for it. Now that didn't go over too good. But I'm going to go over it real slow. (laughs) You believe in God will result in favor. And there will be times, I had just the other day, I was talking to a fellow, and he, uh, he, he said he wanted to, I told him I was looking for a certain thing, and he knew who I was, and he said, well, I just want to do this at my cost, I'm not going to make a dime. And I said, well, I want you to make some money on it. He said, no, 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 I want to sow to you. And that's, he's had his heart set on it. That's favor. But I didn't ask him for it. It's a huge difference. Than asking and riding and wearing and bugging and pleading and almost begging. Of course, you know what Isaiah 119 said if you be willing and obedient, you'll get the cheapest in the land. Because that's the most important, right? Paying the least price is really the most important thing to the Lord. Is it? No. If you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the what? Is the best of the land always the cheapest? No. Very rarely the cheapest. Are we out? Is our main focus the best deal? No. Or the best one? The cheapest thing we can get by with paying are the right one. Which should be our focus. And not only that, we need to have the other person's welfare in mind. Is that right? We ought not begrudge a man making something on his sale. Is that right? Besides that, it misrepresents God. We stand up in church and talk about how rich God is and how much He's God and then tell other people, can y'all give the Lord a handout? Like He's broke. Beware of asking for Christian discounts. Well, this is for a church. Now this is for the church now. Can't you give us a better deal? Does that represent the Lord properly? No. It's getting quiet in here now. Well, I'm a Christian brother. Can't you can't you come down a little bit? Can't you help me a little bit? Do rich people, do truly rich people talk like that? No. Do they begrudge a man making something on his sale? 
I've actually had the Lord deal with me to do this. Now, now I, some of the things I'm telling you, I used to be some of the, one of the worst, okay? Now, I didn't go around and ask for preacher discounts. I've never done that, thank God, and I'm not going to. But I would, I mean, when I went to buy a new car or something like that, I thought it was rodeo time. Man, I would... <laughs> I'd ride that bronc till he was broke, man. I didn't feel like I did good because, man, I saved. Whoo, I saved $5,000. Brag on it. But that's poverty spirit. Burn three tanks of gas to save $5 on a sale. Just flat miss God. They're at a place. It fits perfect. They like it. It's $10 more than what they heard about. Somebody said it might be somewhere else across town. And not sensitive enough to know that the Spirit of God's prompt them. Go ahead and get it. You'll save time. You'll save Just get it. Hmm? If you be willing and obedient, you will eat. The good of the land. The best. Not the cheapest. Our primary thing should not be saving a dollar or two. And it's often a, a, a good witness. Can be a good witness to go ahead and pay full price for something. Because you're wanting to bless somebody. Let them make something off of it. And let them know God ain't broke. And his representatives are not beggars. Hmm? I've actually been in, involved in a situation, one I'm thinking about, where the Lord dealt with me to go back to the person I was buying this thing from and go up on the price. I raised it to the tune of 15000 He told me to do it. He said, you want me to go up on the price? I said, yeah. It affected some Christian brothers. It, it was going to them. They said, up? I said, yeah. They laughed. They said, all right. <laughs> and these, these people are big sowers themselves. But you do not, you're not wasting money necessarily by paying full price for a service or for a good. You need to be led. And then there are times that God will give you favor. And somebody just want to give you something. Or they want to give it to you for half price or, or whatever. And you just need to check your heart see if it's right. If you think if it's since, since it's right, then okay, receive it. They're sowing seeds, what they're doing. And you believe with them for a good harvest. But don't be cheap. Don't be a beggar. Don't try to wear people down so they're not even making anything off their sale or off their work. That's stingy. That's poverty mentality. And that's, that's not your soul prospering. Can you say amen? amen? All right, number five. Do you never even look or talk about the highest priced items? The highest level of things. You never look at the expensive houses. You don't go and look at the most expensive cars. Without meaning to, you have a mentality that they're for somebody else. Who are they for? 
I've had the Lord deal with Phyllis and I before, you know. I mean, when we couldn't have afforded to do anything, he'd deal with us, go look at this. And we'd wonder why we were there. But what's the Lord trying to do? Get vision in you. Because if you can't see you with it, he can't get it to you. If you can't see you in it. I know concerning the airplanes and aviation. That was the biggest challenge I faced. And of course, we're still working on it, developing and growing. But the first airplane, Lord dealt with me to get it and, and pay for it. Don't go in debt for it. Pay for it. Amen. Well, I could see Brother Copeland flying in an airplane. I could see some other people. But in, in, when I'd close my eyes and look in the cockpit, I wasn't there. <laughs> Phyllis wasn't in the back. Somebody else. I mean, rich people have airplanes. Amen. And in my mind, I wasn't in that category. And the big challenge is to get it in your spirit. So I'd try to get it in there. And the tail wouldn't fit. It's too tall. And the wings wouldn't go in. So I'd pray and I'd look at things. And I'd talk about it. And pray in the Holy Ghost. And talk to people that had faith. And I'd go down to Brother Copeland's and get in his airplane. And sit in the seat and make noises. And I'm in it, but I'm trying to see me in one. That's the, cha- the challenge is not God doing it for you. The challenge is you seeing you in it. Finally, I got to the place where I could close my eyes, and there I was behind the yoke. Look back there, and Phyllis was there. Drinking a club soda. Hey, Phil. Riding in an airplane. And it wasn't long after I could see that in here. My soul had prospered to the place where I could see it. wasn't long till it was sitting in the hangar. Paid for. Then the Lord dealt with me about that jet. Whoa. The nose wouldn't fit. I couldn't get the wheel in on that. Oh, man. I, whew, took me a while on that one. But I kept trying to work that thing and come on, get in. Get that jet in. I mean, the wing corner wouldn't go in. Those big jet engines wouldn't fit. Oh, come on. And then I'd finally look and I'd say, I could see Brother Copeland flying a jet. I could see somebody else, but I wasn't in there. It took a, it took a little doing. But eventually, I could close my eyes and I could see me pushing up the throttles, hallelujah, on 4,000 pounds of thrust on each side and holding on going, y'all hang on back there, hang on. All right, 500 miles an hour. Woo! I could see me pulling up to the pump and go, fill her up. You best have your platinum card when you do that. We ain't talking about your car. Can you see you in that big house? Can you see you in that new car? Can you see you writing those big checks in the offering? The one with zero, zero, zero on the left side of the decimal. You ever wrote a $10,000 check to the church? You'll never do it unless you see yourself doing it. How about a $50,000 check? Huh? You ever seen yourself doing it? Some missionary, you see in their newsletter, they need a new Jeep. You just buy it for them. You buy the Jeep. Hallelujah. We was at a meeting a while back, and myself and, and Brother Leroy and another guy or two, we bought a boat for a mission endeavor. 
Man, it's fun. I said, man, it's fun. It don't take long. Somebody gives 20 and somebody gives 30 and somebody gives 10 and somebody gives 25. You bought it. You might say, yeah, I, I hear people doing that. I'm talking about you doing it. You. I'm talking about, yeah, but I'm on the fixed income. Quit that cussing. Quit it. Quit it. You sit in here a whole night and then talk to me like that. No. Sit out loud. I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm rich. Finally. Question number six. How you doing so far? Don't lie now. How you doing? Question number six. Are you bothered by what other people spend or have or do? Does it bother you? Do you hear what somebody spent on this or that and think, Oh, man, that's just wasteful. I was in the service some years ago, and a man was talking about how somebody had given him a watch that paid $10,000 for it. And the fellow beside me just got irate. He said, that's, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You, know, you, you know, Think about what you could do with that money on the mission field. Well, see, that sounds good, doesn't it? But you know exactly who that sounds like. There was another fellow one time. Said virtually the same thing. He said, man, that could have been sold and given to the poor. You remember who that was? That was Judas Iscariot. That's bad company to be in. Isn't it? This woman has this alabaster box of perfume that's probably be worth... 20 grand or more today, a year's wages, so at least that. And she breaks this thing and dumps 20, 30 grand on Jesus' feet. And all it's going to do is make him smell really good for a little while. Boom, there it is, 30 grand. Everybody say 30,000. 30, and I mean, his own staff begin to go. Oh, 30 grand. This was a waste. Judah said, this is a waste. This is a waste. We could have taken this and helped so many poor people. But the, the Holy Ghost gives you the insight. So this he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and carried the bag and helped himself to what was in the bag. And you watch it when people are talking that way today. They are envious and jealous and they are hypocrites. And a lot of times would steal if they had the chance. Judging people. When you don't know their situation. How, how would you know about all their stuff? If you say, well, I, I keep, you know, $10,000 for a while. He could have sold that and, and fed the poor. Well, how many loaves of bread you got at your house? How many cans of beans? You don't have to have all them. You could give two of them away to the poor. Huh? 
See, people that talk like this, they're hypocrites. They are not doing on their level what they claim this person ought to be doing. A friend of mine bought a dog a while back. Tim. Y'all, have y'all heard about Tim? And uh, Tim's a German shepherd, specially trained, and he costs $15,000. His preacher friend of mine bought this dog and told people, you know, about him. And I have never heard so much static and so much scoffing and so much, uh, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. $15,000 for a dog. Well, you know, that's judging him. That is accusing him of being wasteful and being a poor and a bad steward of his resources. And you might say, well, absolutely. How do you know? How do you know? I have some stuff, you know. I got stuff that don't serve any purpose in the world except I like it. <laughs> I enjoy it. Motorcycle, boats, sports cars. Somebody say, oh, you're on a sale like that kind of stuff. People won't give it to you, Brother Keith. That's not why I say things. If people are given motivated by, by seeing and hearing, I don't want them to anyway. That was weak, but I meant it. So why, why do you say that to Brother Keith? Because if anybody would have it, and some, there have been people that have questioned me about my, well, how come you got that? Why don't you do this? I got one question for them. What percentage of your income do you regularly give to the work of God? And I didn't say what amount. What percentage? That puts us all on the same playing field. Is that right? And if they don't even tithe, if they don't even give 10%, I got no more time for them. Because I'm way out beyond 10%. Did you hear me? And if, if they're not giving even 10, and I'm giving way out beyond 10, how dare them? Come say, what business is it of theirs? If I've got eight vacation homes and 25 cars, I'm doing way out beyond what they're doing for the kingdom of God. Did you hear me? And besides that, if I'm sowing big time, should I not be reaping? Shouldn't some things be coming in? And if God deals with somebody to give me something or help me get something and I didn't beg or plead or take up any offerings for it or anything like that and God gives it to me, should I feel bad? Should I apologize? Absolutely not. So if my, my minister brother believed for 15000 to buy his dog, and he's a big giver and I happen to know he is, what business is it? Of anybody's if he paid 50000 for his dog. That's his business. That's between him and God. But I'm t- the reason I'm say- telling you this is because you will never prosper in your life as long as you're choking and having trouble with what other people have and judging them and finding fault and talking about it. Well, I just don't think that's right. I just think that's ridiculous. I just think that's acceptable. Yeah, and you have a poverty mentality and it's choking your insides and it's keeping back the prosperity that should be yours in God. 
There's some expensive stuff in this world. Hmm? We're, you know, we got a plane out at the air, airport. But our plane ain't nothing beside a whiskey company's airplanes. And pornography magazine's airplanes. Did you hear me? They got $40 million airplanes. And trade them in on new models like it's nothing. Did you hear me? Now, is that the will of God? Did God, I mean, there are dogs, I'm sure dogs that cost $100,000. Are those dogs only for the ungodly? Are they only for the non-Christians? Only for the non-preachers? Then why do people choke and have problems if somebody believes God to get to one? A while back, Brother Copeland, Kenneth Copeland, the Lord dealt with him, he said, to buy a new airplane. And so he, he has given away, I think, isn't it like 27 or something airplanes over the course of his ministry. That's a lot of airplanes. Given away. And, uh, you know, he, he believed God and, and had the money and paid cash and bought a new one. Now, it's, it's a smaller one. It's not like some of them I just mentioned, but it's brand new. I don't know whether you realize that, but that's just unheard of for, you know, in our society, for ministers or preachers or, you know, a lot of fortune, large companies to have a new airplane. It's just unheard of. He's got a brand spanking new airplane. New. Nobody ever been in the seats. New. Picked it up from the factory. New, 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 new. Rich people can do stuff like that. He said, not long after he had it, he was doing something and the Lord spoke to him. He said, you know, son, that's the only new airplane I have. Have you ever thought about that? And I'm sure that's right. That's the only new airplane that's in the control of a minister or the people of God. Is that right? Whiskey companies and, and pornography companies are flying around brand new $40 million airplanes. They got, I guarantee you, a lot of them's got $15,000 dogs. Huh? Some of the things some people do with money, it just, you know, it blows your, your mind. You're thinking, they just, they'll blow a million dollars on nothing, just nothing. And yet, people get worked up in the church because somebody paid $2 a yard extra for carpet. Oh, that's just, that's wasteful. That's just wasteful. I don't believe in wasting the Lord's money. You must not be bothered. You must not be judgmental. You must not talk about things that other people have and do. You ought to just raise your hand and say, glory to God. I'm glad to see it. Hope they get more. Amen. I'm t- and mean it. And mean it. I've seen some people that I, I shared with them something the Lord blessed me with. And they said, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> you can tell. It's just eating them up, man. It's just... You wish you hadn't told them. You will not be blessed like that. 
I know years ago, Phyllis and I believed God for a car. It was a used car, but it was, it was fairly nice. And I came to healing school, and I told one of my helpers about it. He saw it. Man, he jumped up and down. He ran around the room. He ran out the back door. He ran in the front door. He said, glory to God. He took off again. He ran around, came back. He said, oh, it's nice. Glory to God. He took off again. I mean, he showed out a lot more than I did. Finally, he stopped. He said, you may not know exactly why I'm shouting so much. He said, I'm glad for you. I'm really glad for you. He said, but, he said, I'm in the same blessing line you're in. I'm just a few places back in the line. You got started before I did, but my time's coming. I'm coming right up behind you. Hallelujah. And when you can truly rejoice in your brother and sister's blessing and prosperity and excess, then you're right behind them. I said, you're right behind them. You're coming up right behind them. Your soul is prospering. You're breaking out of the poverty. You're breaking out of the junk. You're breaking out of the restrictions. And you will prosper. You'll be rich, 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 rich. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.